0: surrender to an authority was entire. We don't have anything like this in our society today, not as not as Americans. And it's hard for me to wrap my brain around what that must have looked like. But their surrender to Jesus was very different. Their surrender to Jesus was not forced. It wasn't brutal. Their surrender to Jesus was willing. We've been in uh, Philippians for a whole week, and look what God is doing already. So if you would like to uh, maybe pull out the Bible that you brought with you or this one that is in the seat in front of you underneath, that would be great. The series is entitled Count It All Joy, and last week, Pastor Mike Schultz started us with some of the main themes. You'll want to go, if you weren't able to be here last week or you weren't participating online, you'll want to go and watch that video, even after this sermon, to give you the lay of the land of Philippians, as we say. Each week, we're going to look at one chapter, and the staff team would love to encourage you all this week to read Philippians 1, and the next week to read Philippians 2, because there is way more stuff in each of these chapters than we can talk about on a Sunday morning. So this week, we're going to turn to page 1083 in these Bibles, which is Philippians 1 in the Bible that you brought with us. Remember, as Pastor Mike said last week, that this is a letter from a caring pastor a caring church planter to the people that he loves dearly and he's writing from really nasty a really nasty place a dungeon so let's pick it up from the very beginning paul and timothy servants of christ jesus to all the saints in christ jesus who are at philippi with the overseers and deacons grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partner partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. These words are true, and they can be trusted. So Paul is writing a letter, and he uses the ancient form, the letter form in the ancient world with some important differences. The differences are what we're going to pick up on today. The writer is always named first in ancient letters. We would say, Dear Kevin, and then we would write, But they didn't do that. They would state who the letter was from first. Usually with a description of their official title that will give them authority to say what they're going to say. So it would be like, Kathy, Queen of the Midwest. Something like that. But Paul gives his title and credentials as a servant of Christ Jesus. He had every right to use the word apostle. He was one, but he intentionally omits it here, though he puts it in other letters. This word servant actually means slave or property. So he is the slave or the property of Christ Jesus. We skim over this very first verse because we're wanting to get to the meat of the letter. But Paul starts from the very first verse with something that we need to know. Next, in an ancient letter, the recipients would be named, usually placing them on a lower level than the one writing. But Paul doesn't do this. Paul calls himself a slave, and then he calls the Philippians saints, seeming to elevate them over himself, which is very intentional. But the Greek word for saint isn't what we think. We think saints, the popular use of that term, would be somebody who has it all together. They're living for Jesus. They never make any mistakes. But that's not what the word actually means. The Greek word for saint means people whom God has called out from among others and set apart. Called out from among others and set apart. Apart, Why does he change the way that this letter is written? Why does he flip it and say, I'm a slave, you are saints? Paul is reminding the Philippians that the path toward Christ is opposite of the path toward success in the world. The path toward Christ is opposite of that for the rest of the world. As Jesus said, in order to find their lives, they must lose it. And in then losing their life, they will find it. It's so backwards. It was backwards then. It's still backwards today, which is why we are actually studying it, right? He's reminding the church that they were set apart for God's use to be slaves of Christ Jesus, just like Paul. And do you remember who the church began with at Philippi. Pastor Mike said, Lydia, the wealthy woman, and you know, it's great that she had money, but she was still a woman. And women were a little bit less than cattle when you took stock of what you owned. So, so this is a woman. And then a formerly demon-possessed slave girl. She's been set free from her demon and also set free from her master. But I'm going to guess this girl has issues. Also a Roman soldier, trained to be fearless in the face of danger and to obey and to go forward. And all of his family who has been raised by this fearless soldier, guessing they also have a few issues. And when they identify, the, these three people or three, two people in a family and others that have come alongside, when they identify as followers of Jesus Christ, they're not just wanting to add to the quality of their life to add something onto, something that is already good. They're not going to start going to church for the kids because that would be important for them. They're not going to be worshiping God together to fill a social need, to make connections. When they said they were going to follow Jesus, they knew what it meant to follow him because they had been following Rome. When, when you are in a Roman city, you're not just another person. You're not an individual. You have to do whatever Rome says. You are literally a subject. We learned in school, you know, the king has his subjects. Well, in, they had the Caesar and the subjects. They had to do everything. They sold themselves to become the subjects of Rome, except they really didn't have a say in the matter. They didn't sell themselves. They were told. They were voluntold, as we say today. And they knew that it had to be full. This surrender to Rome must be entire, or they could be reported. And if they were reported, they could go to jail. Their family could be jailed, or they could be killed. So they knew that surrender to an authority was entire. We don't have anything like this in our society today, not as, not as Americans. And it's hard for me to wrap my brain around what that must have looked like. But their surrender to Jesus was very different. Their surrender to Jesus was not forced. It wasn't brutal. Their surrender to Jesus was willing. They took this idea of what they knew as Romans... And they transferred that to Jesus willingly. The word that Paul uses here is doulos, servant, doulos. And doulos has this very interesting meaning. It can mean slave. It can mean property. It can also mean bond servant. And a bond servant, we need to understand what the nation of Israel was like in those days. So you served as a slave for at most seven years. If you became a slave... In year three, you had four to go, that kind of a thing. You knew that your freedom was coming. But if at the end of those seven years you decided, I really like my master, we have this good thing going, I can't even imagine this, but this was a thing. (laughs) If that was true, the master would take you to his doorpost, to his door, to where, you know, the frame of the door, and you would stand there so close that your ear touched the door, and then he would pierce your ear through to the doorpost. Because the doorpost was the sign that this is the family. This is the home. And you were forever then attached to the home. And this is what Paul is saying. I am a willing servant of the Most High God through Jesus Christ. I am fully in. So how do we do that today? I'm not looking to line you all up at the doorpost, and we're going to pierce everybody's ear as you go out today. For sure, I love how one of our professors at Wesley Seminary says it like this Dr. Patrick Eby says, We stop saying no to God. To be this willing, fully surrendered person before God, we say, We stop saying no. We stop saying no to the things that we want to do that he says, no, I don't think you should do that. And we stop saying no when he suggests things that maybe we should do. It's so simple. Paul writes with such encouragement, and we're, I just want to let you know, we're, we're not even going to get past the first verse today, so you don't have to get nervous. But he is so encouraging in this passage because he reminds people that what God asks us to do, God always provides everything we need to make it happen. And so there's a list of scriptures that I'm going to read to remind us of this. The one that we just read, Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, he who began a good work in you was waiting for you to get it together. He doesn't say that. In chapter 2, which we'll look more at next week, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, he doesn't say, figure it out so that you can submit to my goodwill and pleasure. And the goal at the end of this chapter, one twenty-seven, Philippians 1.27, is that we would let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the goal, that we would live in a manner worthy of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ as willing servants. I've been thinking a lot about Revelation 3.20 lately. That's the the one that says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've seen the painting of the door that looks beautiful. And Jesus is in these long velvet robes. And the gardening around it is just amazing. And he's standing there just calmly knocking. And we use that picture to remind people that if they just open the door, then God will come in. And we use it for salvation. And that's not wrong. But remember... Revelation 3 is written to the church at Laodicea. It is written to church people. So Jesus is actually standing here today, not me. Jesus is actually standing here today saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears and opens the door, I will come in and we will eat together. This is a directive to the church more than a directive Toward salvation. So, there, there's this tension or this double thing that has to happen. God wants us to live in a way that is completely surrendered to him. His way is completely good, but he needs us to be willing. We need to stop saying no. Or another way, this, uh, this preacher I was reading about this week, Alexander McLaren he had a sermon where he said, God is like a baker. And he has an incredible bakery filled with cakes that are iced to perfection and bread. And the smell of that bread just oozes out the door into the community and muffins and probably even bagels. And all we have to do is step over the threshold into the bakery and eat. Or we could stay on the street or even on the step and starve to death. I love that picture of us just coming in and allowing, God allowing us to just take and eat. That's all throughout Scripture, right? God does the work. God does the work. But he needs our permission. So back to Paul. Paul is calling the Philippians, his beloved friends, to go deeper and realize that this brings deep joy. Think about times when you know you have done exactly what God has asked you to do. You know you did it. I don't think there's anything greater than knowing I have done what God has asked me to do, because in that moment, he floods me with peace and joy and grace. And when he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, it's not condemnation. He's not trying to batter the door down. It's a knock that we get to open, because there is always more grace, more peace, more hope, more being in the presence of Christ. We just taste a little bit, but there is so much more that he wants to give us. I don't really know how this works, to be honest. I'm supposed to be up here to tell you the answers. I just know it does. And I also know that sometimes we're a little afraid because I feel that. Like, God, what if I totally surrender this to you and then... My son ends up with cancer. We're praying not cancer. My son ends up with a crazy thing going on or other things. I think those things are going to happen anyway. And I want God right by my side when they do because he promises never to leave never to leave, not even for an instant. He is there, not just beside us, living in us and living through all of it. Remember when he came on the road to Jerusalem before his crucifixion and he wept because he was going through the pain of the sin that he would carry. He goes through it all with us. And Paul writes it like this. That last verse that we read in the passage for this morning. I am sure of this. Look at verse six. I am sure of this. He doesn't say, Oh man, I really hope that this is gonna work. In other places, he says similar things, but here he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. We're not done. Our journey is not done. We've got another day, another decade. We don't know, but it's not done. My journey is not done. I don't know, some of you might know that my husband has an inoperable, non-malignant brain tumor, and it has changed our lives. But we have seen God's goodness in that as well. But our journey is not done. He's still using that in our lives to help us become more like him. Freeman's journey is not done. In this passage, Paul's journey wasn't even done. And your journey's not done. Your journey is not done. The person that you love that has walked away from Jesus, his or her journey is not done. Lastly, as Josh comes up, I just want to remind us that when Paul is writing to the Philippians, he's not writing to a Philippian. There's no one named. In fact, all the words you, Y-O-U, mean plural. So we say this often, but it's actually instructive. Paul is writing to all y'all if you're from the South. He's he's not just saying you or you. He's saying all y'all, all of you. So every time you read the word you in Philippians, remember he's speaking to the body because this is hard. Life is hard, and God knows that. Pastor Jorge, the best way that God is showing him that he is faithful is through you all. We need one another. And I didn't even coach him on that. He said it, and then I wrote this, and it all is working together. I love it. We are not individuals. God is knocking on the door of each of us, but he's also knocking on the door of us collectively, asking, will you open that door so I can come in and we can experience something deeper than you have ever known to this point? deeper access. God is asking for deeper access to our hearts. Are we willing to hold what he has given with loose hands? Are we willing to say, yes, to the best of our ability, we will become totally surrendered if you will, to allow him to pierce our ear, to remind us of the commitment that he is asking of us. Our part is only to stop saying no. Our part is only to walk out of the street and into the bakery and enjoy that amazing loaf of bread. And he promises to do the work. I don't think there's any, um, any offer in the world that is better than that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I will conform you to the image of my son. So as we close today, you have a card that was on your chair when you came in. It looks like this. Count it all joy on one side. And then the Wesleyan covenant prayer on the other side. This is a prayer that John Wesley wrote. And we use as his followers, because he followed Jesus, to kind of signify that we are committing anew, that we are opening the door, that we are coming into the bakery, whatever metaphor you want to use. And as we read this together... We're going to read it slowly and thoughtfully. Would you ask the Spirit, what is it? Which door is still closed to you? Is there some place that I'm saying no to you? And I believe the Holy Spirit will answer that very specifically. It's a prayer I know that he wants to answer. So just take a posture, if it's kneeling at your seat, if it's with your head bowed, if it's just standing up straight, whichever works for you. Let's read this together. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you, praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at EncounterTrinity.com slash Next Steps.